Well, we're going to start uh, a new series today, and, and really it's launching something that's going to characterize our teaching time for the rest of this year. We are going to just hang out for 2023 and probably a good portion of 2024 in just three chapters of the New Testament. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are where we primarily encounter Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's his most famous teaching, and uh, we may take a break or two along the way to celebrate Christmas or Easter or something, I don't know yet, but primarily we're just going to hang out in this particular sermon, and we're going to absorb it. We're just going to try to take in this incredible teaching that Jesus leaves. And one way that you might think about the importance of this brief passage and why it would be worth the investment of so many months to explore is that essentially what Jesus is doing in the sermon is he's showing us what it looks like to be a good human. Do you think the 573 needs more good humans? Are you willing to be one of those good humans? <laughs> because the followers of Jesus, this is essentially, he's saying, this is what it looks like to live life in my Father's kingdom, to live a human life the way God always intended and thought it would look like. And Jesus is the consummate human. His favorite uh, name for himself was son of man or human one. He's, we just celebrated at Christmas. He comes to be enrobed in flesh and to be one of us and among us. And so I want you to remember that as we listen in on this sermon over the course of this series uh, that we're starting today over the course of this year, we're not just hearing somebody give us great teaching. We're watching somebody live that out in his own life. And so this vision from the Sermon on the Mount is basically us saying, as the Meadow Heights family in 2023, we are going to learn from Jesus. Yes, we will. We're going to learn from Jesus what it looks like to love like Jesus and live as Jesus. Now, we actually kicked this off last fall. It's just at the time, we didn't know for sure that we were going to hang out and do this for the next several months, but we did a series for 10 weeks called uh, Seriously, Jesus, and it was the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. We call them the Beatitudes, but he has these pithy little powerful statements he makes, most of them one sentence long, that upend everything. And so we listened in in the fall and said, wow, is that, is that how reality functions? Is that what the world could really be like? Are those the people who actually get it? The people who look like that? And, and it was a really great introduction to all of this. If you missed it, if you're new to the family, go catch up. It's out there on all of our channels, of course. Uh, but today, we come to the next little section. There are just, I think, about four verses. I'm going to read them to you, and then we're going to begin to break them down over the month of January. Some scholars say that this next piece is the crux of the sermon. That if the Beatitudes were sort of the on-ramp, <laughs> they, they get our attention and they sort of whet our appetite like, what, what, what'd you say there? This is sort of where it all comes together. And then the rest of the sermon is him just applying this in various ways and showing us what it looks like. But this piece, although it's brief, and for some of us it'll be familiar, is really important to what Jesus is trying to get done. Let me read it and then I'll, I'll talk to you about my little piece of it for today. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how will it become salty again? It's good for nothing except to be thrown away, to be trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. 
A city on top of a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on top of a lampstand. It shines on all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so they can see the good things you do and praise your Father who's in heaven. Now, he gets a lot of stuff done in just those four verses, but for today, I want to tackle the very first part. You are the salt of the earth. Why would Jesus pick salt as such an important metaphor for what it looks like to live this Christian life, we might call it, to be a good human, the way God always dreamed? What's what's salt got to do with it? That is the question of the moment, and uh, it deserves a good answer. And to do that, I'm going to, first of all, say I get to proclaim this good news to us today. As we embrace the way of Jesus' kingdom, the Spirit will work through us to be the salt of the earth. In a world bitter with hate and sickness and strife, we will be flavor givers, seasoning things up, making life around us more tasty as we love and live in the way of Jesus. That's what we think he's trying to get done here with this metaphor. So let me... Let me talk about it briefly. Um, First of all, I would say that growing up in church, and and this might be true for some of you as well, I was often confused about what it looks like to engage with the culture around me. (laughs) Because we spent a lot of time focusing on not engaging. We focused a lot of time on what it looks like to be separate and so forth. We put a lot of emphasis on the externals to prove that we were doing a good job of that. So things like how we dressed and our entertainment choices and what we ate or drank and how we used free time and who we hung out with. And again, those are all very valid conversations to be having, but they they sucked up lots of the energy in the room. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I learned a lot from those lessons. Some things I learned what not to do, okay? But there were some really good things that I learned as well that I think God's used in beautiful ways in my life. I learned uh, discipline. I learned discernment. I learned what it's like to, uh, to be different and not to be ashamed of that. And so those were some things that even as a kid and a teenager, I think they shaped my character and they did some good work in my life. But as I've gotten older, I've also had to get honest about the fact that very often the religion of my childhood might have emphasized some of the wrong things for the wrong reasons or to the wrong degree at the wrong time for the wrong people. I put it like this. I'm not sure we were always learning from Jesus in those situations. What it looks like to be salt and light. Because when I look at how Jesus lives his life, he doesn't seem to be worried about any of that stuff. He hangs out with everybody. He's hanging out with the Pharisees, and then he goes and hangs out with the Sadducees, and they don't even like each other. He hangs out with the religious elite one moment, and the next moment he's with the prostitutes or the tax collectors. And for those of us who know this, we're like, yeah, 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 that was Jesus. But think how shocking that is if you're watching this rabbi hang out at the synagogue, and the next minute he's at a party down the street where people are accusing him of being a glutton and a drunkard. What is going on with this guy? And since he's the human one, I'll say it again. 
we don't just hear what Jesus says in the sermon, we interpret the sermon by the way Jesus lives his life. If he's the consummate human one, if he, part of what he gets done and being incarnated among us is to show us, oh, that's what God was thinking about all along. That's what that would look like. We watch to see how the sermon plays out in his life. We are learning from Jesus in what he says and in what he shows. What are some things we could learn about being salt? For one, I think that if we're going to be salt, we have to preserve the worth of every single person. That is not how this world operates. That is very unique to the kingdom of God. You know how this world operates? The world plays a worth-giving game. We love to establish somebody's worth based on all kinds of criteria, their looks, their education, their status. Do you have the right last name? Did you go to the right school? Are you making it in your business? Uh, do you have um, uh, intelligence? Are you funny? Sexuality, gender, race, go down the list. All kinds of ways by which we sort of award points. And we're taught to notice these things from our youngest days. Ah, oh, they're good looking. They get a point. Smart. That guy is so smart. Point. Funny. Man, she cracks me up. Double points. You drive a Chevy, you get a point. You like the Cardinals, you get five points. You voted Republican, bonus points. <laughs> Whatever it is, we have a whole list of criteria. And then Jesus shows up and blows up the whole system. He refuses to play by that game. He defies every boundary that was established in his day by which somebody would ascribe value to somebody else. But he tells his stories, his most famous stories. They don't give regard to the points at all. He tells a story about a Pharisee and a scribe who should have had all the points in that culture. And in Jesus' story, they got none of the points. Who has the points? A Samaritan who would have had zero points in the worth-giving game of his day. And yet, in Jesus' story, this guy turns out to be the hero of the story. What are you doing, Jesus? You're messing with our heads here. And again, he lets a prostitute bathe his feet with her hair and use the, perform, which of her, the perfume, which of course was very valuable in her trade. He lets her use this on his body in public. This is unthinkable. She has less than zero points. He touches a leper to heal him. He hangs out at the tax collector's party everywhere you watch Jesus go. He preserves the unsurpassable worth of every single person, and there are no points being given. To the degree that eventually it's part of what gets him killed, and he hangs on this cross for the sins of the whole world. Amen? You don't have to have points to be included in this. It's for everyone. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's just messing it all up the way we're taught to operate. The Apostle Paul carries this idea forward into the early church to the Galatians. He writes, there is neither Jew nor Greek or slave nor free or male or female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. The point system doesn't exist anymore. Friends, this is amazing. Every 
individual has unsurpassable worth in the kingdom of God. This is what it looks like to be human for everyone to be given value. Isn't that a beautiful vision? And even today, as the people of God, when we're out there ringing the bell for the Salvation Army, you know what we're really saying? Every person in this community deserves to be cared for. When we donate a can of soup for a hungry kid, we're saying every kid is worth a good meal at night. When we bring toothbrushes and toothpaste and hygiene items, we're saying every kid in every country ought to be able to stay in school and have their basic health needs cared for. They're worth that. And when we give a coloring book or markers to a kid in the hospital who's dealing with with difficult circumstances, what we're really saying is every child, no matter their personal circumstances, deserves to smile. This is what we do as the people of God. Now, I think you get this, but just, just to push the point home a little bit further, let's remember that in Jesus' day, salt was much more valuable as a preservative than it is today. We've got refrigeration and all this other stuff, right? They had none of that. So if they wanted to preserve meat, for instance, for a long period of time, salt was required. It made it ridiculously valuable currency. And um, in order for the salt to do its job of preserving, it had to come into contact with the meat. And in Jesus' kingdom, my friends, the way we preserve the worth of every person is by connecting with them in the good, bad, and ugly of life, not in separating from them. There is a big difference there. This is good news. As we embrace the way of Jesus' kingdom, the Spirit will work through us to be the salt of the earth. And in a world that is often bitter, with hate and strife and sickness, we are the flavor givers. We are the ones who bring some seasoning along the way. We make life around us more tasty just by living and loving in the way of Jesus. Salt preserves And in Jesus' life, we see him preserve the worth of every single person. It's a game changer. Now, salt isn't just a preservative. I've hinted at it already. Salt enhances the flavor of whatever it contacts, right? So you might say that if we're going to um, be the salt of the earth, we get to bring out the flavor in the world. Now, pay attention here to this distinction that I'm getting ready to make. Because sometimes the church or religious people um, act like we're the ones who have it going on. If everybody would just listen to us, we'd get all this stuff lined out because we're the God experts. And if you would let us run this show, we'll show you what it would look like because we know what you need. Sometimes I'm afraid that I see some of the passion and, and, and... Again, for those of you who don't know me, a quick caveat, I love to follow politics and so forth. I think it's important for us to be engaged in the process. But I see sometimes where Christians get so worked up about it, like they're so passionate about their political engagement. And sometimes I wonder if this isn't maybe the kind of thing that's fueling it. I don't know. But I do know what it often sounds like when I listen in. It sounds like we're saying, we're Christians and we can fix you. Let us fix you. Here's a great question. What if we don't bring God to people? What if God is already present and at work? What if it's our job to just humbly notice where he's at work and join up and partner with him there? What if we don't have to carry that weighty responsibility of we bring God? (laughs) 
Now, God is inhabiting us, and we represent God, no question, but God is also outside and beyond us. Amen? He's not just limited by us. We say God is always present and always at work. What if Christians showed up more frequently with a posture that instead of it resonating like, how can we save you? What if, what if people experienced from us, how can we serve you? What do you need? How can we help? <laughs> We'd love to help. And what if we trusted that God is always at work in that? Um, I grabbed a couple of things out of the pantry on my way out the door this morning because I think this kind of summarizes the difference I'm trying to, to clarify here. So I got some Lowry's over here and some plain old Morton's. Now Lowry's is seasoned salt. Lowry's promises to bring the flavor to the meat or whatever you put it in, in touch with, right? Morton's does not make that claim. Morton's is just salt. Morton's will help bring out the flavor of whatever you put it on. Whatever flavor is already there, Morton's will help enhance it so you can fully appreciate it. But that's a different thing than saying we're going to add the flavor. I think it might be a relief to many of us this year. if We would remember we get to do the same. We notice where God's at work, and we humbly show up to join him there, letting God do his thing in and around us and in and around the people that we care about. When we get a chance to point out maybe where he's at work and to help them see it, then that's a wonderful invitation to be part of it, but we can lay down the pressure of we have to bring God to the world. It's a way different posture, my friends. You are the salt of the earth. You can stop trying so hard to be the flavor and look for more chances to bring out the flavor of what God is already up to. As we embrace the way of Jesus' kingdom, the Spirit will work through us to be the salt of the earth. And in a world that's often bitter with strife and division and hate and all this other stuff that concerns us, we get to help bring out the flavor of what God is doing. Life around us can be more tasty because we show up just to love and live like Jesus. This is the way of his kingdom. In fact, that leads us to that one more thing that Jesus says curiously about salt. He gives a little attention to it. If salt loses its saltiness, how will it become salty again? It's good for nothing except to be thrown away and to be trampled under people's feet. I think what he's saying is, you have something distinctive to offer, yes, as long as it doesn't get diluted. Because in Jesus' day, when salt got mixed up with dirt or other foreign substances, it's no longer valuable. Now it can't do its job. The, the value of that currency is lost. It will not preserve. It cannot bring out the flavor. Throw it away, friends. It's got nothing else to offer you. I think maybe we devalue the distinct beauty of God's kingdom of love when we feel the pressure to mix it up with all kinds of things that are done the way this world does them instead of the way they happen in God's kingdom. So for instance, when we think, oh, we need all those tools over there to make an impact, to make a difference, to have influence. Well, we got to pick up some of that consumerism and materialism and individualism and partisan politics and culture wars and all that stuff, all that stuff that everybody else is trumpeting and raising funds off the back of it and so forth. We need those tools. I'm afraid what we may be saying unintentionally is we don't trust that the way God's kingdom operates is enough, that just giving everybody unsurpassable worth, looking for a chance to join with what God's doing in the world, 
Maybe we just got to play their game. We got to play it better than them. Let's pray a lot, get Jesus to bless it. That's what we'll do. (laughs) And in the process, it's possible we undercut what Jesus is spending this sermon teaching us to do. Love is enough for this job, friends. Trust me. You are the salt of the earth. And if you lose that, you got nothing. (laughs) The value's completely gone. You're not different anymore. You're just the same as everybody else. Using different language to describe it. It's fairly arresting, isn't it? It grabs my attention. Friends, I'd propose to you on the second Sunday of 2023 that our only real hope this year is to trust that Jesus knows what he's talking about and follow him there. Amen? To just say, if we will live out our identity in the way of his kingdom, if we'll preserve the unsurpassable worth of every single person in our communities, our families, our neighborhoods, on our teams, at our job, if we'll just join Jesus in upending the system of judgment that says what other people are worth and how valuable they are, and instead we'll come alongside and let say, God, we'll just help you bring out the flavor of whatever it is you're already doing in this room, in those people, on my team, in my family. Friends, this is what love looks like, and love is the distinctive, world-changing power of God's kingdom. Love is the currency, period. Sky Jatani says in his wonderful little book, recommended reading for this series, uh, What If Jesus Was Serious? Pliny, who lived in the first century, said there's nothing more useful in the world than salt and sunshine. Likewise, in a dark, deteriorating world, there's nothing more wonderful than simple people living as Jesus taught. Now just hang with that vision for a minute. (laughs) Simple people living as Jesus taught, nothing more beautiful. Now, is that an assignment you can get your head wrapped around? Huh? Oh, I don't have to change the world. I just got to show up and live the way Jesus did and let God do with that whatever he wants. I'm not responsible for that part. I'm not responsible to bring God in the room. I just show up and notice God's already in this room. Wonder how I could partner with him right now. What a freeing, beautiful assignment this is. I'll say it again. Good news. As we embrace the way of Jesus' kingdom, the Spirit will work through us to be the salt of the earth. And in a world often bitter with all kinds of other off tastes and aftertastes, we get to help bring out the flavor of what God's doing and life around us can be a little more tasty because we show up and we just live and love like Jesus. The thing that I think is maybe most compelling to me about all of this vision Jesus has for here's what it looks like to be human is it feels, it feels more like an invitation than it does a set of instructions. It doesn't feel like he's demanding, of like, go do this right now. He's saying, hey, one in on this? <laughs> want to join me? You want to try something different? How about this? Most of the religion that I've encountered in my life sounds like, try harder, Brian. Be better. Get it together, man. And Jesus comes along, and in his sweet, still, small voice, he says, Brian, why don't you trust me a little more? Trust me. I know what I'm doing. 
I know what I'm doing in you. I know what I'm doing around you. I know what I'm doing in the people you care about and the people you pray for. Brian, you are the salt of the earth. Trust me, be salty. Let's see what we can get done together. It gets me so pumped when I think about that. It's like, what a dramatic difference that is, this invitation from Jesus. That leaves me with one question, and it's probably a good question to leave all of us with today, which is simply this. Is the way of Jesus good enough? Is the way of Jesus good enough for me? Or will I spend a great time of this year questioning it, violating it, rationalizing it? Or will I trust it? And how about you? Is the way of Jesus good enough for you? There's a song that grabbed my heart this week and won't let go. And it probably, in these lyrics, says it much more succinctly than anything else I could add to this message. And I wanted you to hear the song, and I thought at first I would just read the lyrics for you. But uh, if David will come up with his guitar and help me, I think I'm supposed to sing them Uh, instead. (laughs) Now, I have not done this for a really long time, and I'm super nervous about it. Uh, Terrified wouldn't be too light a word. (laughs) And all week, I've tried to rationalize my way out of it and decide that I'm not actually going to do this, am I? I'm not going to do that. So I sort of gently mentioned it to Jeremiah early in the week. I'm like, man, I heard this song. I would love to sing it sometime, I think. And when I was finishing up this sermon on Thursday afternoon, which is really late for me, I got to the end and I thought, oh my gosh, I think I'm supposed to try to do that this weekend. And every time I would tell the Spirit, I think, I think we have a better idea than that. Darn it, if what I didn't get in return was the words of this song and my sermon, which simply says, you going to trust me? How about you just trust me? (laughs) And so, uh, here we go. That's what this looks like, for better or for worse. But what I hope, maybe more than anything, is that um, the words of this song will will grab your attention too. That maybe you'd leave here today having some deep, compelling answer in your own heart just don't know anything better to do than to, than to trust him. That's good enough for me. I'll just trust him. Let me see if we can get this to work. What if Jesus is okay with Letting parts of him remain a mystery. And what if Jesus is just smiling while I think down here I must know everything? What if my views don't reflect his fullness and there's still so much more of him? 
But if trusting him is what he's looking for, would that be good enough, good enough for me? What if Jesus sees what I miss and he does not share all my thoughts on politics? Just these chasms that I have dug out in my own self-righteousness. And what if people I don't agree with are the same ones pouring their perfume on his feet? What if Jesus gets the whole of his reward? to me What if Jesus desires mercy while I'm busy judging others for their deeds Cause if I heart and friendship, then I must know he loves the liars and the thieves. What if I spend life in his vineyard, and at midnight he redeems my enemies? What if trusting him is what he's looking for? possibly make this happen by Sunday, and he's a, he's a trooper, always. Friends, I have good news to proclaim to you today. As we embrace the way of Jesus' kingdom, the Spirit works through us to be the salt of the earth. And in a world we're about to 
go back into. It's beautiful in so many ways and good in so many ways, but it's broken and it's dark and it's bitter sometimes with division and hate and strife and sickness. And we see it and it breaks our hearts. This is good news. We get to be the flavor bringers. We could season some things up. We can simply make life around us more tasty when we just live and love like Jesus. That's the assignment. Amen? And that's good news. But you're going to have to decide. Is trusting the way of Jesus good enough? <laughs> is it good enough?